You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I've been practicing exclusively divorce and family law for the past 16 years. Everyone has a story. I interview them. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for you to hear inspiring stories from people who are making hard decisions, overcoming their fears, and living their most authentic life. This is a special episode of the Hashtag FemSquire series, where I interview women attorneys and law firm owners about their career path and their experience as an entrepreneur, including why they became a lawyer, how their practice has evolved, their biggest challenges and successes as both attorneys and business owners, and their vision for the future. They share their philosophies about business and life. We're here with a special episode of the Hashtag FemSquire series, and today my special guest is Julia DeSaro Drescher. She is an attorney in New Jersey, and we're going to talk all about her career trajectory and where she's headed. Welcome, Julia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to do this with you. Me too. It gives me an opportunity to be really nosy. That, that's okay. So I always start out with the same question. Where did you go to college and what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? So I went to Fordham University um, in the Bronx. And I am pretty sure that I thought that I was going to law school after college pretty much when I went into college. I um, majored in American Studies, which was a really liberal arts kind of a thing. It was interdisciplinary, which is funny when you go through my career. There's a kind of a a path of um, jack of all trades type of a thing. You know, I get bored with one thing for too long. Well, when did you start thinking you wanted to be a lawyer? I would say probably in high school. History has always been my favorite thing. And I was part of... you know, debate clubs and things like that. So there was a program um, called American Studies, and it it accepted, I think, 15 students per grade. And you had to have a certain GPA. And it had its own requirements, but it was you were able to choose from multiple areas as long as they were considered, you know, an American-based course. So I took values in black and white drama with with probably one of my favorite teachers in college ever. Um, her name was, uh, she, was a, she was a nun, and her name was Sister Francesca Thompson. Um, but she had such an interesting background. Uh, she was African-American. She was from the Midwest. So she was probably one of the first people from the Midwest I had ever met. Um, so she had a twang with her voice. Mm-hmm. And she used to talk to me and she'd say, Julia, it's sister. That's how she would say it. Uh, she was raised by stock actors. Her parents were stock actors. She was not raised Catholic. She was Episcopalian. And she... I don't remember the part of the story as to why, but somewhere along the way, she converted to Catholicism and became, you know, a a nun. And she had a PhD from, like, Michigan, you know, really good school, really smart woman. Sounds like someone I might want to interview. Yeah, and she is still alive. She's probably in her 80s now. But here was the best part. Well, not the best part. She was a wonderful woman. She sat on the Tony, Tony voting board. So she wow. actually voted for Tony winners. So all of the shows gave her comp tickets. 
So I got to go see shows with her. Um, Sounds like she was a big influence on you. She really was. Um, she was fantastic. And she taught, I took two classes with her. I, the other one might have just been a straight drama class, but the, then I took values in black and white drama um, with her. And then, you know, American theology, American philosophy. And again, he was another one of my very uh, philosophy professor. I had had him by chance for one of the core curriculum philosophy classes and then took uh, two or three other classes with him, one of them being American philosophy as a senior. So it was a lot of I, thorough and... Uh, I can't believe you're a lawyer. You should be a professor. Yeah. I can, I'm just looking at you right now and I'm seeing professor. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, again, it, it was always something I was interested in. I, I don't know about the publishing and stuff like that, but... The research. Yes. Yeah, because I figured out the hard way, too, that PhDs at Rutgers or wherever, teaching isn't really their thing. It's the research. Correct. Yeah. And the school expects them to do that, right. too. Very and much so. Actually, some of them don't even want to teach. Well, yeah, that's what so I'm, again, I had a couple of uh, teachers in college that were teachers, uh, you know, TAs, and they were just as good, if not better than some of the ones with PhDs, you know. So it's, it sounds like more it was like the academic, intelligent work that you were more interested in. Absolutely. Know, the intellectual stimulation. Yep. Always liked to read, you know, always liked to learn uh, new things. And like I said, American history is, is still one of my hobbies. The kids are funny. Uh, my oldest one, who's in high school, the, her history teacher said, she's the only one that ever knows any of these places I talk about. And she said, I told them. It's because every time we go on vacation, mom has to find some historical thing to do. So, Well, I mean, I don't want to out myself, so we're not going to test me. But I think there's been studies that the average American really knows very little about <laughs> American history. Yeah. So you're probably far ahead of most Americans, which... It's a little sad, but so did you feel like as you were going on this path that going to law school was going to feed that hunger that you had for academia? Um, not so. So I guess the other side of me always had a strong interest in like social justice. Um, so, I mean, of course, like every law student, well, not everyone, you, you had like two groups of law students, everybody that either thought they were going to be, you know, a corporate lawyer, especially in New York City, which is where I went to law school. Or your social justice, social justice, and everybody's going to go work for the ACLU. Mm -hmm. You know, when in reality, you know, there's not that many jobs at the yeah. ACLU. So, but that was even in in law school. I after you know first year when you took all the things that you were supposed to take contracts towards property, which is funny considering I do real estate law now. Yeah. But I took classes that probably could have crossed over into being grad school classes: American legal history. Um, I took, oh, here's a funny tidbit that's relevant for the day. I took mass media law with my classmate, Chris Cuomo. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Um, I don't want to make this about him, yeah. but what was he like? Uh, cocky. <laughs> Not <laughs> you know? surprising. His, I'm pretty sure, I'd have to go back and check uh, year-wise, but I'm pretty sure his father was governor at the mm -hmm. time. If not, he had very recently been governor. I don't remember exactly the overlap. I went to law school between uh, 92 and 95. Um, so Chris and I, we graduated in 95. 
So I'm not sure if Mario was still uh, the governor or not, but and Andrew, who's now the governor of New York, he was um, like Secretary of Housing and Urban Development at the time down in Washington. So you know, Chris had gone to Yale, and he was you know he was good looking even back then. So and he knew it, and he knew it, but that's okay. Uh, so yeah, um, so he was in that class, and that, it was really funny. I remember the first time I saw him on like I don't know if it was. It wasn't Good Morning America. Maybe it was Dateline or, you know, one of those shows. And I'm like, wow, I guess he took mass media law because this is something he's really interested in, you know. But anyway, I mean, that was a class I really enjoyed, you know, learning all about the First Amendment stuff and freedom of speech. So what kind of law did you think you were going to do? Did you think you were going to be at the ACLU? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't I didn't think that. But if I could have done that, you know, if those jobs were out there. Um, unfortunately, I graduated when there was somewhat of a recession a lot of the big firms, and I don't really know the history of why this happened, but a lot of the big firms in, in New York City were falling apart. So were you worried about where you would work? Oh, absolutely. People were, unless you were. So I was on the one of the, the law journals, but not the law review, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, me I, too. Yeah. I always found that it didn't, once you got out and you had your Esquire after your name, oh. unless you wanted to work at some big fancy firm where they only take Harvard grads. Right. It didn't really matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. But when you when you're in a time when their jobs are scarce, yeah. it was like, okay, the top 10% of the kids graduating are getting don't got kids because we weren't kids anymore, but whatever. Top 10 10% of people's graduating, we're going to get a job. 11% and below didn't. So it didn't matter if you were in the 15th percent of your class or the 80th percent of your class, you know? I mean, maybe it did to a certain extent. And I was probably up around the, you know, 15, 20 percentile. So what did you end up doing? Did Were you just kind of like, I'm going to go wherever I get a job? Uh, yes. And uh, Well, so I got a summer job at a firm in Bergen County. Um, doing what kind of work? Insurance defense, which that I had. That sounds exciting. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, so... I learned more about medical in that summer than I ever knew before. And I'm like, okay, now I'm really confused because, you know, what, what does this have to do with the law? I did know, and this is still true to this day, I always wanted to do litigation type thing. I did not want to review contracts. I did not want to do mergers and acquisitions or, you know, in anything involving banking. Transactional or, stuff. Exactly. You wanted to go to court. I wanted to go to court, which is one of the reasons I came back to New Jersey rather than staying in New York, because, you know, any of the larger firms in New York City, you didn't go to court for yeah. easily four years, five years into your career. And it was like, well, I've just spent seven years doing research and writing and things like that. Yeah. You know, I don't want to keep doing that. But you have an artistic streak in you. Oh, absolutely. And for anybody who doesn't know you and or who hasn't seen your photos, right now you have a, a short, sleek bob. Mm -hmm. And it's purple sort of underneath, by more by your neck. Yep. And it looks great. Thank you. But you've always been playful with your hair, you know, more so than the average attorney, right? Most attorneys aren't going to court with purple hair. That's correct. Um, so tell me about that. So, well, so I've always been playful with my hair, even before purple. Um, I, I would be the type that go from a shoulder length to a pixie, you know, and the, the person cutting my hair would be like, are you sure? Are you sure? And I was like, it's hair. If I hate it, it'll grow back. It's not a big deal. So... Um, I think it was a couple years ago. Now, my hair, uh, like you said, it's it's short bob, but it's also kind of platinum. Even before I, I transitioned to the platinum, regular hair color was like that mousy 
blondish brown dirt like a dirty yes. blonde yes dirty dirty being the operative word <laughs> and um so you know I always had highlights and low lights or whatever at one point I had my hairdresser put some she put some teal or something underneath you really couldn't see it because of the other the way the other color was but then I think it was about three years ago we made the decision to go platinum and then she's like well do you want to put some of the you know they call it fantasy colors in the the hair world, the fantasy colors in. I'm like, sure, why not? Put a little in. What are we going to do? People all over the place would compliment me on it. You know. You um, can pull it off. It really looks good. Well, and I think it's, you know, it's subtle enough. It's not. You yeah, know, maybe if your entire head was purple. That, yeah, I think that might be a bit much. I, I've never had anything but a positive reaction. Some people will say to me, you go to court with your hair like that? I know, right? And I I feel like I have to ask that question because I think that's what people wonder is, yeah. did, was there anything holding you back at all? Like, maybe I shouldn't do this. You know, what if clients don't like it? Yeah, no, I didn't really think. I mean, I think by the time I did it, I'll never forget somebody asked me. It was in court. It was in, it was in workers' compensation court in New Brunswick. Somebody said to me, uh, is that making some kind of a statement? You know, the was hair it a man color. or a it woman? It was a man, of course. Um, <laughs> and I said, yeah, the statement is I'm old enough that I don't really care what anybody thinks anymore. Yeah. That's a you great know? statement. I said, that's I'm what the statement you was. <laughs> I mean, I think he meant like, was it pink for, you know, breast cancer month or blue for something else? Yeah, he wasn't being obnoxious yeah. about it at all. Yeah, and, okay. You know, and like I said, it was very much a positive reaction that I got from almost everybody. You know, I always think I I feel envious. Like I'm impressed that anybody when someone does something a little different out of the box, especially for lawyers because we're so conservative generally. I think it's great because I see a person who is confident enough to do whatever the hell they want and not care about what everybody else thinks. Well, it's true. And I and I certainly was not always that way. But, you know, as you get older and I mean yeah. especially, you know, running your own business for 14, 15 years, it, it's exactly, you know, what you finally decide somewhere along the way. I don't know where that the, it clicks or, or what, but... Uh. I've always said that, especially with the family bar, I've always said that I thought, especially being a business owner, it's a good environment to cultivate a certain quirkiness. Absolutely. In a good way. And I agree with you about the, the family bar, you know. I mean, it's, it's certainly much more... I don't want to say liberal in a political sense, yeah. but, you know, liberal in a quirky Relaxed. Yes. Well, sense. you have to be. I mean, you're dealing with people that are going through the most horrific experience of their lives. Right. It's very personal. Right. And we see a lot of crazy stuff. Absolutely. So you have to have a bit of a sense of humor. Absolutely. Whereas in the, you know, the personal injury bar, the civil litigation bar, you're either dealing with insurance adjusters, doctors, you know, orthopedists business people yeah so you know you almost have to have that little more conservative tilt there because you know of who you're interacting with on a regular basis yeah um and plus you have juries you know yes we don't here in new jersey anyway yeah um so that helps you know yeah when did you start thinking i would like to have my own business um, I don't think I really did. Uh, oh, so. So was that imposed upon you? Was, well, it wasn't imposed upon me, but it was, um, again, I had had two out of my three girls at that point. They were uh, two years old and somewhat of a newborn, definitely an infant. And I thought, well, okay, I've got six months went by after Maeve was born. She's my middle daughter. And I thought, well, I have to start looking to do something. 
And that's what I said. I thought, well, maybe see, you know, prosecutors hiring, things that were a little more regular as far as hours went, you know. Yeah. Um, and I was talking to a colleague who had his own firm, and he said, oh, I just opened off some, uh, opened up some space as like a satellite not too far from where you live because he had done the closing on my house. And I said, oh, yeah. He said, yeah, there's still some space over there if you want to go talk to the woman. Uh, we were actually subletting from someone um, who leases the building. So I went over and I met her and, and she and I hit it off. She was, um, she at the time owned a real estate paralegal company. So she uh, was before the title companies really started picking that up and doing that as much as they yeah. do now. So she would offer her services to real estate attorneys to prepare closing packages and things like that. And her brother was a real estate agent. So, it, you know, plus her son was the same age as my older daughter at the time. And, you know, it just seemed a good fit. So I thought, okay. And so, you know, that You're was- You're like, I'm doing real estate. Kind of how it started. So you don't seem to have been nervous at all about going into all these different practice areas. Uh, I, I mean, no, the practice areas, I was never nervous about like learning something new. And, you know, I think that might be part of having practiced in a smaller community like Monmouth County, Ocean County, because even, for example, though I hadn't ever done any family law work from being a member of the Monmouth Bar Association, I certainly knew a lot of the family lawyers. So when I started doing family law work, it wasn't like I was working with strangers, you know, yeah. that I had no idea who I was. But So yeah. did you, were you one of those people once you started doing family, you really enjoyed it? I did enjoy it. And then what happened was, um, I don't even know why, but I decided to take the mediation training. Okay. So, I mean, I did that very early on in my family law career. It wasn't like I had a, a strong basis in family law, but I thought that that had to be a better way to, you know, handle those types of cases. I can actually mediate civil cases, too. I have the 48 hours rather than the 40 hours. And it sounds like you have the background for it, too. I, and, I, and I actually have. I've, I've mediated chancery, you know, will disputes. And I've mediated some that kind of cross over, you know, so I've mediated cases like that as well. I really enjoy mediating. I like being a mediator. I like helping people. I have to say, you we, we do have to talk about your three girls because I know I'm supposed to say this because it's polite, but they're really three very special individuals. I've... I have spent some time with them. Yep. And they really are. They're they they are. Sometimes they drive me crazy. But even when they three were three girls. When they were oh, in three teen, almost three teenagers. Yeah, what are their ages? 16, 14, and 12. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Um so, a lot of estrogen in that house. So to, uh even when they were little, and people used to say to me, you know, they would be driving me crazy and they say, Oh, but they're so well behaved. They well, are. I, I uh, would uh, prefer that they be well behaved outside. If I have to deal with the chaos, I'll deal with the chaos. But at least when they're in the company of other people, they're polite and well behaved, and they are, you know. Um, but they have their own dis very distinct personalities. They absolutely that you can do. see pretty quickly. They absolutely do. My my oldest is a very. I don't know. You're not the only person who said she's like a 40-year-old. Um, I think of the dentist, the dental hygienist. She's like, she's like 42. I said, well, she's born that way. She's an old soul. She's definitely an old soul. Um, and just very, 
she's she's just very responsible. I don't know how else to put it. She's very responsible about her schoolwork. She's very responsible about, you know, things that need to be done. I mean, not not necessarily cleaning a room, but um, her, you know, she makes lists. Everything is color-coded. She's the planner. She's the planner, you know. Do you think she'll um, go to law school? I, I don't think so because – as much as this might surprise you because you've interacted with her and, she, you know, she does have a very good personality, but she's not a lover of people. Well, she might do something more transactional. Well, she might. I mean, and that's what I've said to her. Um, she's very good at math, so we're talking maybe accounting. Okay. The middle one is quieter, brooding, that type. Did not react well to quarantine or homeschool or anything like that. She's probably more social outside of the family confines. She's the social butterfly. She, she has a lot of friends. You know, she likes being with her friends. Like Siobhan, who's my oldest, will literally tell her friends if they've hung out and they say, you want to hang out again tomorrow? No, I need a break. Oh, she's an introvert. Oh, she's absolutely an introvert. There's no, there's no doubt about it. I'm like that too. And, you know, people misunderstand what an introvert really is. They think it's someone who's just shy yep. and timid. It's yep. not. It's actually someone who get needs time off yep. to sort of recharge. Yep. And that's very much her. She's not shy or timid oh, by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. And she's, you know, very likable, you know. And she's on stage. She dances. I mean, mm -hmm. they all dance, but she dances. You know, she'll perform. But absolutely, she needs her time off. She needs her time by herself. You know, she was fine with quarantine. You know, I mean, after like six to eight weeks, she's like, okay, I miss my friends like live in person. Yeah. And then f I, finally, I'd say around Memorial Day, you know, when things started to look up around here anyway, yeah. I started letting her hang out with, you know, it's basically five or six of them as the same group. Do they all get along? Not Most always. Of the time. You know, the girls, my yeah. siblings? Oh, God, no. But, and this is a weird dynamic for me. Because and I think you said you have a brother, right? Yeah. So I only had – I had a brother. And like I was telling you before, I had cousins that were raised like my brothers. Very true to being sisters. They could be killing each other one moment and passing the salsa the next. No matter what's going on between them, you never voice an opinion because as much as they might be fighting with each other, they will f defend – each other against an outsider in a heartbeat. I love that. I hope so, they always have that relationship. Yeah. You know, it just occurred to me that you guys could have a reality show. Oh, we absolutely could. You could be the next Kardashians. I don't know how you but, feel about them. But, uh, I mean, they've been around a long time. It's yeah. They're going to have to phase out eventually. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, your girls are... Yeah. No, well, no the, the Kardashians. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. No, I know. That's yeah, what I mean. So that we could would be the call next. you the they they are i mean it's funny they're known that way where they dance at the dance studio it's like oh the dresser girls are here oh the dresser girls are fighting again oh, i yeah. think you really could we got to get this we got to do this we and then my get you a reality show my youngest <laughs> one um is uh she'll be the one to take care of us uh she's the very, younger one yeah, the younger one she's very caring very very good-hearted. She's struggled a lot with school. We've had all, you know, we we're finally on the right path, but it took us a long time to figure out all of her issues. She seems like she's the, a little more of the sensitive one. Absolutely. Very sensitive, um, very artistic. Yeah. You know, prefers, she'll dance all day long. 
but doesn't, you know, she's not that she doesn't like school. She actually has begun to like school now that we've, you know, figured out what accommodation she needs to make that a better place for her. Yeah. But she definitely was the cause for a lot of my gray hairs when she was younger. <laughs> uh, oh, really? That's surprising. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, she's ADHD, and there was a lot of the impulse control stuff, so we had a lot of darting into traffic and oh, that okay. sort of thing, you know. Yeah, um, she's kind trees. Of, she's kind of like the quiet one from the limited amount of time I spent with them that you would think you didn't need to keep an eye on. Right. Yeah, right. And she is. She's quite, again, of, of the three of them in outside circumstances, she is quiet. And she's quiet at home for the most part, too, unless she's arguing with her sisters. It wasn't that you needed to keep an eye on her. It was that if you didn't keep an eye on her, she would not run away, but go to hide some places to you know, drown out some of the overstimulation of some of the sensory stuff. So if you didn't constantly have an eye on her, she would be gone. She wasn't really gone, but everybody else thought she was gone. And that threw everything else into chaos because then it was like, well, where'd she go? And I'm talking about in like crowds. One time at a dance competition, we were at this enormous high school somewhere and she was sitting watching the older kids perform. She was probably about six at the time. And then the older kids all filed out to go on stage. And I, I looked around and I said, well, where'd Fiona go? And everybody looked at me and said, well, she was just right there. I said, I know she was just right there, but she's not now. Well, maybe she went to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom, not in the bathroom. Now you're starting to think, where on earth is she? And how do we even start to try to find her? You know, there's people in a dark theater. <clears throat> so she could have been in there sitting with a friend and we don't know. You know, so you start to like send out the feelers. Is she here? No. Is she with you? Did you see her? No, 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 no. And probably what was about eight minutes, but seemed like an hour, we just, we couldn't find her. You must have been in such a panic. Oh my God. I was in a panic. My other daughter was in a panic. My friend was in a panic. One point in time, somebody thought they saw her, but it was another one of the little girls, because I don't know if you've ever seen dance competitions, but they all look the same. Yeah, yeah. All their hair's pulled back in a bun. I didn't have my cell phone with me. Um, I mean, I had it there, but I don't know why it wasn't on my person. And all of a sudden, my friend came out from the gymnasium, which is where we had started, by the way, and said, I have her. And I said, where was she? And she had just tucked herself behind, like, these bleacher equipment things. Um, And she had my phone. Um, And she was just doing it to get away from things, mm -hmm. completely unaware that everyone was frantic. Yep. Yep. And did that start happening regularly? Yes. So is that what made you start to think that there was something that you needed to investigate a little further? Actually, by then we had already known there were some things that we had to investigate a little further. But like you said, about everything, there's always a learning curve. Yeah. You know, so um, it was her kindergarten teacher. She was quiet in preschool, but it was her kindergarten teacher that really pointed out that there were some things that she was seeing that having had taught my older two girls wasn't typical of a kid coming out of a house like mine. So she started OT every week and there were just things I had never even heard of, you know, about sensory input and she had motor weakness, which explained why she didn't like to sit in school and, you know, write. And That's interesting. Um, so how did you deal with the sensory issue? If, if she gets, I don't know if I'm using the right terminology, you can correct me, overstimulated by noise and activity? Absolutely. Overstimulated by noise, um, overstimulated or overreaction to um, the feel of a fabric. Um, seams in pants, seams in socks. Um, so if so, the reason she went and hid is because she was just trying to remove herself from that environment. Correct. So and, how and do you deal things, with that? Well, occupational therapy 
helps a lot. There's a lot of things that they do to train their bodies. There's something called, um, I can't think of the name of it now, but it's a certain term, probably named after the person who developed it. But it's a, it's a plastic bristle brush. It uh, looks like a, almost like a bar of soap and has little tiny bristles. And if you brush first, like brush your skin, that will desensitize. So for the for the I've t- heard of that. Yeah, so it's, it's Rohrberg or something like that. So for the tactile defensiveness, um, you know, if you're going to get dressed in something that you know, uh, you know, might be bothersome, um, or just to calm them down overall. So they would find that soothing. Absolutely. Wow. That is really interesting. Things like jumping on a trampoline. You would get... think that would overstimulate them. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It does something, I guess, to the nervous system. And, and these then... are alternatives to drugs? I mean, do they recommend medication? That, well, so so, she, so she's got a number of... So she has ADHD also, which they do recommend me, me, uh, medication for if you can't control it otherwise. There are no... To my knowledge, there's not really prescribed medication for sensory issues. Now, you can get into some uh, academic arguments with the different medical practitioners as to what exists and what doesn't exist. I remember when she was diagnosed with ADHD for the school district by a, a neurologist, she was like, well, sensory issues, sensory disorder doesn't exist. She's like, it's just ADHD. There's no sensory processing disorder. Then there's, you know, a ton of people out there who recognize sensory processing Yeah, I know disorder. a lot of parents that would disagree Absolutely. with that. Absolutely. So I just kind of like yes to her because I was, we were there for school yeah. purpose. I'm like, whatever. You know, so that the, they definitely help. But then she does take medication for the ADHD. Um, and you can take, because the sensory issues can also make you develop anxiety because you kind of never know what sensory situation you're going to find yourself in. So then, you you know, so for that purpose, I guess you could say that's a medication for sensory issues if you need the anti-anxiety. All sorts of things. Things that aren't unusual in other parts of life. So like they call it a power push, but you know, it's just basically taking your hands and and putting them in prayer position and pushing together. Yeah. So that would calm you down. Or like um, go into the wall and push, you know, get the, the door jam type of a thing. Would this help everyone or just people who have this sensory issue? Well, I'm sure to an extent it would help anybody who f- was feeling over. I mean, everybody feels overstimulated at one point in time or another. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, when you're trying to describe it to people, you say, well, you know, tags on, on shirts really bother her. And people say, oh, I'm like that too. You know, it's not a big deal. I'm like that too. And I said, well, yeah. But the difference is you're like, oh, this tag is bothering me, so I'm going to cut it out and it will be fine. Fiona, especially when she was younger, was – this tag is bothering me, so I'm going to take all my clothes off and hide under the bed because I'm not going to the school because I don't know what other thing might bother me while I'm in school today. Yeah. And and we lived like that for, you know, a long time until everything kind of fell into place and, and we learned how to deal with even dance. And, and she loves dance, but, you know, she didn't want to wear the tights. So, you know, it was a struggle to get her to go. And I'd say, well, we just won't go anymore. But I like to go. And, Does you she know. have to wear the tights? Um, she, now she wears them only when absolutely necessary. Maybe you could invent tights that girls like her could wear. Honestly, so w- it did get a little bit better. Um, Capizio, which is one of the very well-known yeah. dance brands, changed the top of their tights to a um, – it used to have like a, a hard band kind of on the top. And they changed it to a soft knit band so that it's flatter and it doesn't cut into the skin as much. And when those came along, she got a little bit better about the tights. But she still, she doesn't like anything across 
her midsection. Like she'll wear all her shorts down low. Um, for years, we used to battle about the seatbelt in the car because she didn't like the way the seatbelt felt across her stomach. You know, so we'd be driving and we'd turn around, she'd have the seatbelt off and we'd be yelling at her. And I used to have to, not have to, but I used to threaten her. I'm going to put you back <laughs> in one of those, you know, five-point harness seats. So like yeah. you're a little kid again. And she's still like that. She still doesn't love it. But but as you get older and more mature, you understand that there are certain yeah. things you have to do. So she'll tolerate so is this something she would grow out of? She does. She has grown out of a lot of it, but some of the stuff she's still... So So there's two... Um, there's sensory seekers and there's sensory avoiders. You because, sound like an expert on I, the uh-huh. subject. You become one. Um, so, and then there's combined type, which is what she has. So certain things she avoids, certain things she seeks. So the avoidance would be like the, you know, seams on clothing, bright light, loud... It's not so much loud noises, like fireworks don't bother her. It's like... Um, like if the television was too loud that's, or construction. Uh, she's never really complained about construction that I know of. Television can be too loud, can be too loud in the movies. But it's an. I think it's an echo thing because even if it's not loud, but there's a lot of... You know how that, that din happens when there's a lot of people and there's chatter and nobody's specifically being loud but just by the virtue you just of hear the a lot of noise you just hear a lot of noise that's probably the like the, so school assemblies anything like that total shutdown on the seeking side she loves to do things like create potions and mix like you know all that slime stuff and putty and soap and bubbles and we I can't tell you how many shampoo bottles we've had dumped out because she you know just plays with them in the in the tub have Um, you ever heard of ASMR yes does she like that she does you know we haven't used it as much as probably we could but she probably that something like that would be very helpful um and there's there's another variation of it it's I can't think of which the what the initials are, but it has to do with rapid eye movement. And my other daughter has used that for anxiety. Really, I would be interested um, to know what that is. I'll look it up for you yeah. before you leave. But it's um, it has to do with certain colors, picturing a certain color, and then looking around and finding something that color. It's just to distract your brain from whatever that you know bad thought that's you're stuck on if, well, when you have how anxiety. Did you, how did you find ASMR? So many people think, don't know what that is. I, you know what? I think the kids knew about it. Yeah, I think it's more common now with the, the young kids. Yes, it may it may be a, a very much be a TikTok thing. Who knows? Maybe I, I. It's so weird that we. I never thought we would be talking about this subject, but I find myself very soothed and relaxed when when I hear certain sounds. Yep. So I actually do watch those ASMR videos and sometimes I go to sleep to them. Uh, so do I. I have like if you go on Spotify and just, you know, search sleep. Yeah. You know, all kinds of things will come up. My boyfriend thinks I'm a weirdo. He's like, what these are creepy. You need to stop watching these. <laughs> so if for anybody who doesn't know what it is, just you could just Google ASMR. I forget what it stands for. I think it's auto sensory meridian response. Okay. So basically what it is is there are people that have this kind of euphoric sensation. They call it tingles. Right. Where when they hear certain sounds or if they watch certain activities being performed, they just go into this like very relaxed, calm kind of euphoric state. It is not sexual at all. So some people, you know, get all... 
get all freaky on me. It isn't. It's. It's not sexual. And it's. I mean, look, the versions of things like this have have been around. I mean, there's been biofeedback. Yeah. Um. You know, that was very big in the in the seventies. You know, hypnotism. People uh, for learning how to quit smoking. Mm-hmm. You know, people will be hypnotized or do the biofeedback. Yoga has very much that element to it, you know. Yeah, meditation. Meditation. Yeah. The other um, EMDR is what the other therapy is, and it is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. Oh, interesting. I'm going to have to look that up. And dance has helped a lot. And they all do dance. And we have to talk about you because I didn't know that you do tap. Can we talk about that? Sure, sure. Um, so – when my when the girls started to dance and fairly quickly i mean they they started very basic you know one class each nobody was sure who was going to like what and they were also doing other things at the time they were playing soccer they were i don't know what else they were doing but i got friendly with the owner of the studio you know pretty early on and um you know i used to say to her would you ever consider doing an adult tap class that was always my favorite and i had so i danced as a kid and then in my 20s, oh, my gosh, I, uh, Fred Astaire. It was called Fred Astaire. I did some ballroom lessons yeah. um, in Red Bank. Uh, so, I, you know, I had said to my friend Tara, I'm like, what would you think about an adult tap class? And she's like, well, people will come, you know. Did you so, take tap as a kid? I did. Oh, yeah. okay. I mean, so. I took tap ballet jazz, but tap was okay. always probably my favorite. And I also play the piano. And, you know, people don't realize that piano, tap, it's all percussion. I mean, it's all a, it's all a rhythm percussion percussion type of a thing so she started a class I think it was about seven years ago and at first um, Tara has a lot of theater connections starred in a number of community theater in the area productions so I think a a bunch of her theater friends were getting ready to audition for a show that had tap and they weren't tappers so they're like we need to learn how to tap so we can audition for this show so that was like how it started and then all of a sudden she changed the time and um, she she got interest from all of these. You want to talk about old older ladies who had they had been taking a class somewhere else, but they were looking just to do more or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm 50, and when I'm in this class, I am younger by at least 15 15 years than the than the next oldest. And there's one lady who's almost 90. I love that. I love that they're doing what they they're want. They're fantastic. One is in her 80s. It's good exercise, One too. is in her late 80s. It's good exercise. It's good for the brain. Is it like riding a bike? Oh, Does I it come yeah. back to you? Very much so. I mean, some of the skill requires, you know, more practice, but but the basic steps and, and how to do it come back to you. For a good, I would say, solid eight to 10 weeks of the pandemic, I took a weekly class with a woman um, who's based out of Long Island. She usually teaches in Broadway Dance Center and on studios, uh, in studios on Long Island as well. Her name is Jill Kenny. And I had taken her as a teacher. And that's how I knew it, because I had taken yeah. her as a teacher at Broadway Dance Center when I had gone in with one of the girls. I love that. So you can tap with them. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. No, yeah. you always, well, in theory, but they would want absolutely zero part of that at all really why the, oh my gosh because they think your mom and your old absolutely <laughs> the, not so much the little one would probably do not with me but at least she would tolerate like if she and i wanted to do a zoom class together she would do it with me do you think you'll be one of those 90 year old woman women i hope tapping? so i 
hope so too. I hope so. I wouldn't want to be a 90 year old in any other condition. So, you yeah. Know. If you can tap. Yeah. I mean, every once in a while they show some video of some 90 year old woman who still lifts weights and, so, uh, you know. Somebody that I know that the girls have taken um, some ballet intensives with had a post she also teaches pilates but she had a post on today i guess she has adult ballet students and it showed these like 85 year old women you know doing ballet and how it keeps their mind and their body active yeah and strong i feel like i i've always said that i want to go back and just do all the things that i didn't get to do when i was a kid because we were broke yeah (laughs) So I didn't get to do gymnastics. I didn't get to do ballet and those sorts of things. And my mom would kind of tease me. We joke about it now that, you know, maybe I would be a little more graceful if I had <laughs> done some of those things. But it looks like it's not too late. I still it's absolutely could. not too late. Not too late at all. See? Maybe I can get you to share a video. You did show me one in, in confidence, but I maybe I can one. That's probably you. one of the... Uh, I don't know if I've done many more after that one I showed you. Um, well, maybe I can convince you to share your tap with uh, the rest of us. But a couple of years we did the recital with the dance studio, the adult tappers. That's awesome. So let's go back to your business because I want to talk about you as a businesswoman. So you kind of accidentally, accidentally yes. on purpose started your own business. Accidentally on purpose, yep. Yeah. And um, it was not an easy go at the beginning, um, although I, I owe some gratitude to a lot of the, and still do, personal injury lawyers from my prior career as being a personal injury lawyer. So that's where I got started to get a lot of my business from um, at the beginning, that, you know, they would send to me, oh, go see Julia. She's, you know, she used to work here or I, you know, I know her from when she worked over there. And um, so that was actually great networking all those years. Yes. Well, and so I absolutely kept up with um, and still do. I sit, although, again, we haven't been there, but I do the um, personal injury auto arbitration in the courthouse in Monmouth County. Okay. Just to keep in touch with everybody. Well, that's a good thing to know. I know myself and plenty of other very smart people that don't really understand insurance and how all that works yeah. and subrogation oh, and yeah. all of that. Yeah. But it, I what, don't need to, so. Yeah, that's, well, true. It's, what to understand about insurance is that the insurance companies are in insurance for making money, not for actually, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. not for actually helping the people when they need it. So you started your business. I mean, did you... This is a question I ask a lot, and I experience this too, is at some point you realize, okay, I'm not just a lawyer anymore. I'm actually a business owner too. Absolutely. Um, Probably about four. So so what happened was besides my business, what I did in, in order to bring in some more steady income was I did some per diem work doing workers' compensation, which is kind of a subset of personal injury, kind of not. And I had not really had much experience in it. We won't tell the person that I was working for that. But um, he actually it asked me It seems like it worked out okay. He's like, do you have any experience in comp? I'm like, do you really need experience in comp? Like, I know all the medical stuff from personal injury. The rest of it I'll figure out. So did you fake it? I wouldn't say I faked it. Um, I did happen to know some of the per- workers' comp attorneys. So, well, maybe I did fake it. I don't I know. Really I really admire you faked it a little bit. I really admire you for trying all those different things and having really not knowing. Like you're just like, okay, I can do it. I'm gonna figure this out. I can That's, just ask yeah. people. I, I say that all the time. I'm like, for the most part, I can figure anything out. Maybe not patents. You know, that's a little too technical for me. Yeah. You know, about the first four years, I had the practice. I was doing a lot of this per diem, working for other lawyers. You know, 
just making court appearances, that type of thing, just to, you know, have steady cash flow. Um, and then probably another one of the very smart women lawyers that I know, uh, who is a workers' comp lawyer, her name is Bonnie Casfiola. And I was having lunch with her down in Tom's River, and she said to me, we were talking about staff, and I said, well, I don't really have, you know, a secretary. She goes, you have to get a secretary. And I said, well, I don't know if I can afford a secretary. She goes, you won't believe it, but once you hire a secretary, you're going to make more money, and you will be able to afford your secretary. And did you find that to be true? Absolutely. And, and yeah. the more hours my secretaries worked, the more money I made. Yeah, and I, tell, I still tell them that. I'm like, do not be – they're like, oh, I'm worried about working too many hours. I said, just – if the work is there, do it because it's, you know, it absolutely generates more income. I'm so glad to hear you say that, and I hope that other attorneys who just started out or, or having those thoughts that I, can't, I really need someone, but I can't afford them. I always say you can't afford not to have them Yep. for that very reason that you just said. It frees up your time so that you can do work that a lawyer should be doing right. and not be doing the secretarial work because it takes up your time. Right. And you will make more money. Yep. And not only that, it's not even skills that we necessarily have. You know what? You're right. If I, You know, if I had secretarial skills, then that would be okay. But I was really bad at it. You yeah. Know? Um, and they're really good at it. So the two people who work for me now, Lynn and Margaret... Lynn has worked on and off for me, even if at another firm, almost since I started practicing law. Well, that says a lot about you as a boss. Yeah. But Do you we not know really each other. think of yourself as a boss? No, I don't. I, I've, it's, it always sounds funny to me, especially yeah. like if I'm out and I run into somebody who's like related to one of them, like, and you know, if their kids are with them, like, oh, who's that? And they're like, oh, it's Aunt Margaret's boss. I'm like, oh, no, I am not Aunt Margaret's I know, boss. it is weird. Um, but, but you are. But I am, I guess. So um, say it. Say I'm a boss. I'm a boss. You are a boss, Julia. Give yourself some credit there. You're a boss. So Even, what do you? Where do you see yourself going? Do you have a vision for the firm or for yourself moving forward? I I mean I like where we're at. Um, I know there are other people who are very into growth. I you know I to me it's that's. The more people you have, the more problems you have. I agree with that 100%. You know, I mean, okay, great. You're making a million dollars, but your payroll is triple. So what, at the end of the day, are you bringing home? Because isn't that what it's all about at the end of the day, you know? You're absolutely right. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm fine with being a sole practitioner. You know, I said we were talking about my oldest before not being a people person. You said she's an introvert. You know, I, I might have a little bit of that. I was saying she didn't get it for me, but I might have a little bit of that as far as not playing well with others, you know. I like being that's a That's interesting. I, I never got that impression it, from you. Maybe that's not the right way to put it. Um, if I'm making the decision, I'm making the decision, and I don't want to have to committee it or conference it or that kind of stuff drives me crazy. I would never be fit for the corporate world. I agree I have with no you. patience for that. Like, we're not going to sit for eight hours and talk about whether or not we should do this. Yeah, let's, like, have a meeting just to have a meeting. Yeah, exactly. And that's all they do in the corporate world, you know? I know. I know. I have friends who work in the corporate world, and all they do is Zoom meetings Zoom all meetings. day long. Yep. It's like, how do you actually do any work? Right. If right. you're having all these meetings, all these all meetings. So um, no, I'm I'm with you on this. So I mean, I think that that, but for maybe a very few select people, would make it difficult for me to have any kind of a partner or you know anything like that. You know, but at least you know that about yourself. Yeah, you know, because, and it's not a bad thing. No, it's not a weakness. No, not at all. Because I just like I said, I it's funny. I've gotten involved in some I don't know what I call it charity work, but community based work. 
and you know we'll be on these calls and it, all of a sudden it gets into that almost corporate mindset of well should we spend $150 on you know buying this for this club at the school and you know and it's going on and on and on and I'm looking at my watch I'm like you know what I'll write the check I'm like we don't have to find it. don't worry about it I'm gonna write the check for the $150 so we can move on to the next topic because this yeah. is making me nuts I know? am so 100% like that too yeah I I very decisive. I accept that it could end up being the wrong decision, but at least I made a damn yep. decision. Maybe that's why we've always hit it off so well. Yeah, I'm, I think so. I'm the same way. I, I I really I'm so happy to hear you say this. I think you're you're my spirit animal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree with that. I I can't stand indecision. Yep. And things like what you're talking about, like you know what? Does it really matter? How much does this affect our lives? Right. Do, regardless of whichever decision right, we make. Right. Let's just make a damn decision and move on. Right. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm, uh, you know, to be rash. Yeah. Obviously, you know, in, in important decisions in life, you do the research and you learn and you and you make a intelligent decision. But for things like, you know, should we buy ice cream for the kids or not? Like, I'll just go buy the ice cream. So, yeah, or, <laughs> or, you know, which couch should we buy? Oh, that's or, another one. Yeah. Actually, what I really admire about you is you just seem to really know who you are and what you want and what you don't want. You know what? I, I don't um, – I do. That's correct. And I don't have – I've never been a person who has seen value in money for money. Like I, I – it, it doesn't matter. We all die at the end of the day. Yeah, you're so right. So what does it matter if we die with $3 million or half a million dollars or, you know, $10? I like having money because I like things that you, you can do with it, you yeah. know? So um, – to me, as long as I have the balance of having, you know, being able to spend time with the kids. My little one and I went shopping yesterday, you know, spent a handy sum, you know, which we did. It's not something we do a lot, but, she, you know, she liked what she was getting. Did she need everything she got? Absolutely not. She wears a uniform to school. But, you know, everything she put on she liked and, you know. Made she, her feel good. She never asks for much anyway. So, you know, it was, it was just a nice day. They love going to the theater. Well, you definitely have an artistic flair for sure. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, performing arts. Don't ask me to draw anything. <laughs> so what what is your vision for the future? I mean, you're you're right now you're doing ADR, so you're doing mediation. I do mediation. Um, I would like to grow that part of the practice. I, I like I said, I really do enjoy that. Um, and that's all practice areas really. Workers comp, personal injury, estate. It can be probate. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, or family law, or family law. Well, I like to end every interview with a series of questions. They kind of change from time to time. What's the best advice you ever got for practicing law or being a business owner? Probably back to what I said about what bon, you know, but Bonnie told me about hiring staff because that really changed. I mean, it seemed like a simple thing at the time, but it really changed the course of, you know, my being a business owner. Yeah, I agree with that because it also helps you recognize in the future when you need to hire somebody. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. What would you say is the best advice you got just about life? Is there some lesson that you learned that you would pass on to your girls? A lesson I learned was probably don't don't try to please everybody because it doesn't matter at the end of the day. You could go out of your way 150% of the time 
um, or over and above that much and still for no under no control of your own from things that are having to do with the person you're trying to please not please them so yeah you know i think that's great advice there's a lot of 40 and 50 year olds who haven't learned that yet yeah yeah. And I think you save yourself a lot of trouble when you realize that. Absolutely. So they're going to learn it young. So if you won $100 million, what would you do? How would your life be? Not what would you do with the money, but you know, would you still have your firm? Would you still do all the things that you're, you're doing? I, I think I would just because I enjoy what I do. But obviously, I would be much more relaxed about it. I would yeah. take more vacations and uh, see more Broadway shows when it comes back, you know, and just have more downtime. Hire more people to do things that I don't necessarily like to do on my own, like clean my house. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, maybe we, maybe you could reconsider whether you should be hiring someone. Well, for yes, those exactly. So, if you were writing life's instruction manual, what would be the first rule you would have in it? Hmm. That's a tough one. Um, never stop learning. I like that. That seems very appropriate considering how we started out our conversation. Right. What person do you most admire and why? Oh, boy. Um, that's a tough one, too. I always struggle with whether I should give these in advance or not. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, like, you know, famous people or, or historical figures or anything like that. You know, I mean, there's obviously people. If you want to talk about historical figures, I'd have to say Jimmy Carter is pretty admirable. Because, I mean, here's somebody who, you know, for a long time had this reputation of being, you know, the worst president. And it was followed by Reagan, who was basically a movie, th you know, a movie star and, you know, looked the part and spoke the part and all that. And, you know, when you look at what he has done with his life, uh, in the later years and continues to do and you know even into his 90s um, with Habitat for Humanity and and building bridges between people and helping the, the poor um, you know he, he has really embodied what a public servant is um, so so if you could sit down with him would that be something you'd want to do sure, yeah sure you know just to see how did you how'd you come back you know, yeah. how did you how did you reestablish yourself? And and history is like that, you know, and not to get too history geeky. Yeah. You know, but people who were maybe not such great characters in, you know, uh, in their own day, you know, history becomes kind to over over the time. That is true. Um, people tend to forget things that seem to to be so important. Right. At some point. Right. I mean, even look at Richard Nixon, you know, I mean, as bad as Watergate was in the 70s, he's still respected as having been a good states person and, you know, things like that. So, so yeah, so yeah, I think that would be interesting. He's, uh, he's pretty yeah. admirable. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Probably not to get too concerned with what other people think, which I think we've touched on a little yeah. bit because I did for a long time. Yeah. You me know, too. kind of steer my life based on what I thought or not only what other people think, but what was supposed to be. Yeah. You know, what society's idea was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. I was actually just talking to John or my business partner earlier today. And I said, you know, I think as I get older and the more I, like and accept myself, the less I feel the need to spend money on stupid things and 
you know, have absolutely expensive things. Absolutely. Which I don't think you realize at the time, at least for me, I can only speak for myself, that I don't think I realized at the time why I wanted those things. Right. But they definitely seem less important now. Right. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Okay, final question. What would you tell other women who are thinking of starting their own law firm but are afraid? It's, in my experience, a hundred times better than working for anybody else. So what do you have to lose? Yeah, you can always go back and get a job. You can always go back and get a job. And people have. Some people, it's Mm -hmm. not for them. Yes, and there's no shame in that. I I don't see that as a failure. Yeah, no, not at all. Or some people start and then they take on, you know, they merge with somebody or take on a partner. And again, that's absolutely appropriate for, you know, some people. Sometimes people work better as a team. Yeah. You know, certain people have some strengths and certain people have others. Not us. Not us. (laughs) Not us. That's we not like us. To, we're islands. Yes. Yes. Very much so. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing. There was a lot to go over. There was. There was. And like I said, sometimes I get, uh, takes me a long time to get from point A to point B in a story. But oh, that's um, okay. That's what editing is for, yeah, Julia. Yeah. Some, I remember one time somebody said, geez, you like tell a story like Hemingway. I said, well, is that a bad thing? Hemingway, Hemingway told good yeah, stories. He told though. good stories, you know. Well, thank you again All for right. sharing. Well, thank and, you. Um, Look forward to it. Yeah, I never know how to end these. (laughs) 